Welcome back to the Funding University Podcast. I am your host, Seth Block. Today, we welcome James Wright to the podcast. James is the CFO and founder of JC3 Ventures, an advisory firm who helps small businesses define their debt and capital structure, as well as helping them with mergers and acquisitions. He is also the founder of EVP Information Services, a great company that helps businesses enhance their telecommunication service. James is going to tell us the cultural difference between community banks versus large international banks. And later, he will go into the process of buying a business using ERPA funds as well as an SBA loan. So with that, let's get started. James, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you, Seth. Good. Glad to have you. Let's dive right into it. Uh, I'm really going to want to spend a lot of time talking about EVP information services. But before we do that, I'd like to talk about your background and a little bit uh, like, like where you grew up, uh, where you went to school, uh, some of the other places you've worked at, and then we'll kind of lead that into uh, JC3 Telecom and then EVP Information Systems. So with that, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, I grew up in a small North Texas town, uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, still have family there and uh, moved to the Metroplex back in 2007. I uh, was working in banking at the time and uh, spent most of my career was in banking, uh, as you've seen, Seth, uh, on the wholesale side or commercial lending side of the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked for different sizes of banks from small community banks to the large internationals. Um, so <clears throat> that was almost a 30 year career in banking and uh, just decided to do something else. And so that's how we ended up where we are now. Great. And and just, just out of curiosity, you said you work for community banks and the large international banks. What would you say was the biggest difference between the two of those? I would say it's probably culture. Um, you know, it, on the community bank side, it's, it seems to be more relationship driven. Um, the larger banks seem to have a system or a culture and process that they tend to focus more towards than actual customer engagement. Gotcha. Um, and I would assume there was a lot of, for lack of a better term, politics in the larger banks. <laughs> Uh, agreed. Agreed 100%. That's actually what drove me out of the career. Got it. Very interesting. Well, thank you for that. Um, and did you tell me, where did you go to school? I went to, so I went to a small school, actually uh, 40 graduating uh, seniors in my high school class. Wow. Petrolia, and then uh, graduated college from Midwestern State University. And where is, where is Western State? Midwestern is in Wichita Falls as well. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I, did spend, I did spend a year in the middle of my five-year uh, college career at Texas A&M. Um, my high school counselor thought I should go into engineering and started as a pre-engineering major, transferred down there, and just didn't have the study habits that I needed to take on the upper-level math classes and uh, and the science and things like that, and so had already worked at a bank in college. And so I thought, you know, let's, let's go with a business career. And so end up getting a degree in finance at Midwestern. Very, very good. Um, 
So that leads us into JC3 Telecom. Tell us a little bit about that company, particularly you know, kind of your inspiration to start it. So I'm going to be brutally honest, uh, Seth. I mean, I, you know, as, as we were talking about me having a career in banking and that, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, people in politics, how they feel like the party leaves them. I kind of, I've been in banking so long, I felt like what I had grown to kind of enjoy or, or love about the industry had left me. And so it was, it was a struggle for me for many years at the end of my career in banking. And so uh, my wife and I agreed that it was time for me to do something else. And so we started, you know, I had a relationship with a business broker and this company was, was just coming on the market. We were actually the first ones to get to look at it. And so it, it wasn't a true fit for us, um, but, you know, there were aspects that did need our help. And mm -hmm. so it ended up a good fit for us. Great. And how did, how did you finance this company? So we, we acquire or finance most of the, of the purchase price with uh, SBA 7A loan. Interesting. And then we, we also have a, a minority investor. And then we also uh, utilized uh, what's called an ERPA, which was my retirement plan dollars to do a portion of it as well. Gotcha. Is, is, uh, I'm going to want to circle back to your experience with the SBA, but on the ERPA program, is that a program that's still available today? Absolutely. Sure okay. is. Okay. Because um, I don't think very many people know about that program. Well, and, and I first heard about this type of, of lending for, for purchasing, you know, operating entities or investments outside of a traditional, you know, bond fund, stock fund, whatever. It was actually my, my first knowledge of it was regarding purchasing real estate um, for investment purposes. And then as I dove into it a little bit, I found out more about the program, found out you could actually purchase operating companies. Uh, so that's how we, you know, made a, a part of the capital contribution. That's really interesting. And you said you had the, the SBA 7A loan. Uh, did, uh, I assume you used a local bank and just had the SBA guarantee it? Correct. We, uh, can I mention the bank's name? Sure. Yeah, we actually, our bank that did the SBA transaction for us was Regions. And, and one of the things I'd like to share about that process, Seth, is, you know, even though I had a long-term career in banking and uh, commercial lending, you know, not a lot of my time was spent on SBA transactions. I had some familiarity with 7A and with the 504 mm -hmm. program, but, a, you know, purchasing an operating company that is enterprise value driven is a totally different animal. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about the SBA is that the SBA has a set of guidelines, but the decisions for lending is made by the bank. And so just because a bank does 7A or 504 lending doesn't mean that it's going to be a right, the right fit uh, for what they're comfortable with in a transaction. Yeah, I, I've tried to explain that to people before that, that when you're doing the SBA loan, it's truly, uh, it's truly being underwritten by the bank. And why it will vary, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but why why it will vary is because different banks, it's not that they have different uh, regulatory requirements, it's that they have certain metrics they have to stay within 
and it kind of depends on where the bank is. Uh, and that, that can differentiate between for their appetite for risk. Uh, and so, and the bigger banks are monitored closer than the smaller banks. Uh, so to your point, I think a lot of times uh, it depends on which bank you're dealing with as to whether or not you're gonna be successful with that. Um, I am finding that there are smaller banks that are pretty aggressive in doing, doing these loans. Uh, so let me ask you this question about it. When you did your loan, did you, and I guess with your background, I probably know the answer to this, but did you do the process and do everything yourself or did you hire a, a consultant to help you? I did 100% of it myself. Yeah. And I will tell you in, in acquiring this company, it was the most difficult part of the process. I was actually referred to regions to start with. Mm -hmm. And um, I buy the business broker actually. And we, you know, kind of kept missing each other on emails and phone calls. And so I started going off in a different direction. And I, I found that for what we did, we, we had more luck with, with working with bigger banks than the ones that were kind of, you know, specializing in SBA lending. Interesting. Uh, so, you know, whether it was the evaluation or the perceived value of the company, or whether it was, you know, whatever, there were just, you know, things that didn't fit, you know, 10 out of 10 pegs. And so we were like, no, we can't do this. Or, you know, we will do it at this amount, but not this amount. But it was a really smooth process going through Regions Bank. I have to give them major kudos on how they handled us. That's great. That's good. Good to know. I would think that, uh, you know, the key is when you find the bank that is the right match, the process will move pretty slowly, but getting to that point can be painful. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, there, there's more I could talk about that I would, you know, commend regions on, but uh, I just, I've, we've had no complaints. We've, we've worked with them through, I'm, I may be getting ahead of myself here, but we work with them through the PPP process. Uh, so it's, I've, I've been extremely pleased with, with regions. Great. Uh, well, let's, thank you for that. Let's move into EVP. Uh, so you are a founder of EVP Information Services. Uh, what, what was the inspiration for putting that company together? Well, um, actually, this was, this was an operating company in existence, uh, Seth, that we acquired. Okay. So We've we've owned the company for three years. It's actually been in existence for thirty years. So the pre the, the the owners that started the company were who we acquired it from. So I might not have filled you in on the background totally on on EVP. Uh, so it was already in existence. Um, so, but like I said, my wife and I've been uh, managing and running the company for three years now. Great and. Um, so you guys do, it looks like you do several services, including uh, consulting services. Is that correct? Um, that's that's probably still tied within JC3, which was the, the corporation that acquired uh, right. EVP. Okay. Uh, the, the, the core of, of EVP is telecommunication services. So we do everything from business telecom to answering services and things of that nature. We have a small, you know, construction piece to what we do and data cabling, but the heart of the company is basically providing a call routing solution 
for people that utilize after hours personnel. Okay. So uh, I was going to kind of dive into that. I noticed that, that on your website that you guys do have uh, answering service modules for a couple of different industries, it looks like. Uh, walk us through the benefits of, of, using your, of using that service. Well, number one, Seth, is l- let, me, let me kind of tell you the, the industry. So within answering services, and, and I'm going to hone in on the medical industry. Within the medical industry, you have providers that are on call for their patients or for other providers that you know may be at a hospital that are taking care of their patients. And so they've got to get no- be notified at all hours of the day. And so there's basically, basically two solutions to reach them. They can reach them through a service like ours, which is basically a virtual attendant or an automated system, or they would use a live operator through a service. And the thing that, that I feel like is, is beneficial for someone who uses our service, first of all, the pricing is fixed. It's, it's a stated price upfront. They're not charged additional for, for any hours or calls or minutes rather. Um, and, and there's also, there's sometimes there's a delay in getting that message you know, through the, through the service to the physician or the provider in a live platform. So our, our system is immediate. Well, the, the other thing about the live platform is that, you know, that person's basically transcribing a message uh, from a patient or from a, or from a doctor to the, or to the doctor that's taking that call. With our service, they're hear, hearing directly through a message who's calling them, what they're calling for, and that message immediately goes to the provider on call. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I know you said you also do phones, you know, phone systems. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the latest technology of phone systems. It seems to me like it's ever changing. Well, the, the technology that we're utilizing for both of, our, of, of these services, whether it's uh, telecom or whether it's the answering service, is that it's, it's a platform or it's an architecture within a platform that is patented, that has more redundancy than any other solution out there. Mm-hmm. With, you know, with failover with carriers, there's typically the architecture is a backup carrier. Um, ours actually utilizes an artificial intelligence that, that keys in on actual call quality and can immediately change carriers on the fly. Wow. Once their quality issue detected, so it's a it's a great company that we that utilizes that process for us. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I don't think I get that on my cell phone now. Say that again, Seth. I don't think I get that on my cell phone now. It's 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 amazing to me how sometimes I could be talking to folks and and the the connection is just that horrible. Uh, so so let me ask you this: if if you're one of these companies. Why would it make more sense for them to use an integrated service like yours as opposed to just having all their employees use their cell phones? Well, with, with the medical industry, for one thing, it's, it's a HIPAA compliance issue. So you've got to make sure that, that the message that's being stored is within an encrypted environment and that it meets the compliancy of HIPAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, is that... Um, couple of things. We, we 
we put together some routing systems which which exceed the capabilities of an internal office phone system uh, and the cell phone. I mean, and the other thing is, is that when our serve, whenever our service reaches the provider on call and then that provider calls back the patient, they're not giving up their personal cell phone number. Our technology spoofs that number to where it looks like the doctor's office is calling them. Oh, wow. Okay. The other thing is service. Uh, our company's on call 24-7, 365. So if there ever is an issue, whether it's, you know, not putting the right person on call or if, you know, just any issue, we are reached within minutes and, and are back on, you know, back on the phone with our customer with whatever issue they have. If they're just utilizing a large carrier um, that may or may not happen within 30 minutes to maybe hours. And with who we deal with being the medical industry, we don't feel like there's that kind of time to spare. Gotcha. Um, well, that's, that's very interesting. It looks like it's a very valuable service. Um, let's talk a little bit about on, when we were chatting before the podcast, you'd mentioned that you guys had been able to take advantage of the original PPP program. Uh, can you just give us a, just an overview of your experience with you know, getting that applied for and, and all of that, uh, how that worked out for you? Yeah, absolutely, Seth. Um, again, from my experience, that's that's all I can speak to. Um, I know that there are a lot of different vendors and facilitators, banks that are out there that will handle uh, PPP. Um, I've just found that working with our, our lender was, especially being an SBA lender, mm -hmm. made it the easiest for us. Um, we actually have a uh, a checking account or depository relationship with another bank with our company. And they were, you know, they stayed in contact with us whenever the program started and were wanting us to utilize them. And it, it was just a lot easier for us to use the portal. Uh, our, all our financial information was already on file with regions. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just, it was an easy, you know, uploading files that they didn't have. So it was just a very smooth process. Um, so, and we, we've actually gone through the second round already with them too. So, and I want to get to that in just a second, but but the word of the words of wisdom here are if you can use if you have an existing loan, particularly an SBA loan where you're already reporting, using the using the institution that, that reporting is going to can speed can speed up the process. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely, my opinion. Yeah. And then on the, on the, you're now in round, you, you said you did have some success with round two as well. Uh, yeah. We've already, we've already had our first loan forgiven. It, it wasn't very substantial, but it was, you know, substantial to our company. Sure. And then we've already gone through the application process um, for round two. Now, um, have you received the funds for round two yet? Uh, not yet. Probably, I mean, I don't think we've gotten the DocuSign documents to, to actually sign the app or yeah, to sign the application, but or note documents, but we're probably, you know, at least within 30 days of that. Gotcha. And circle back to the first time you got how long from the time that you filled everything out, how long did it take you to actually receive the funds? Um, I don't remember specifically, Seth, but it was under 30 days. Okay, that's great. Um yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the. You, you said you did go through the forgiveness on the first loan. Uh, was that was that a difficult process or was it pretty seamless? 
You know, it was an online form. Um, it was extremely simple. I, the the most of the process was just basically attesting to everything fitting within the parameters of, of forgiveness for a company. And you know, it was it was very simple, uh, very quick. That's interesting. I've talked to a couple of folks that have been through the process, and they found it to be very difficult. But uh, I, I suspect that if you have all of your ducks in a row per se that it's a much easier process to run through yeah I, th I think that if you know if, if you have a lending relationship with a bank they're going to have almost all of the financial information they would need whether it's personal financials tax returns whatever uh, the only information that we had to basically go out and provide or acquire was uh, the the 941s for from our payroll company gotcha that's that's really the only third party source we had to, to check or reach out to in order to, to make the application or make the forgiveness process work. So taking that, I would assume that if you received the PPP money and then didn't pay your taxes, getting the loan forgiven is going to be a much more difficult task. Yeah, I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, so. Uh, as we kind of bring this to a conclusion, you uh, and we talked a little bit before too about 2020, really an interesting year. I, I would imagine your business did did okay uh, during this time. Uh, I, I think any business that survived during 2020 uh, should feel pretty good about itself. Uh, you know, just to, just as an overview, how how what impact did did the pandemic have on your business? You know, a couple of things, Seth, and there, there was good and bad. Of course, you know, the PPP program was, was you know, a blessing to our company. Uh -huh. We weren't expecting that. Um, but the main thing that's hurt our company is that, you know, we're, we're kind of a traditional business development type of company. And that's kind of our philosophy. We, we like, you know, meeting people face to face and yep. telling them a story. And so that's probably been the biggest negative impact is our ability to go out and tell the story. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. But I, I would say on, on the adverse side, we were going through a transition with our technology platform. Uh, and so we basically with, with, you know, we, we actually, you know, closed our office and uh, work remotely as a company and I think that allowed us to probably stay on point in working through our technology change that we accomplished in 2020. And so we, we not only improved, you know, our service level to our customer uh, in the way that it, we present the product to them, we, you know, enhanced the back end for reliability and redundancy, uh, but we also achieved a significant savings uh, and expenses with, with going to this platform. So, okay. yeah, I mean, that's that's really what what kept our company afloat was we were we substantially decreased our overhead on our on the operating side of the company. So that that certainly is a positive. Uh, so I'm going to ask you now <coughs> about 2021. I, I can tell you're a pretty optimistic guy, but but what is your outlook for 2021? You know, I, I really see this as a year of transition. I think it's. I don't. I don't think. We're, I don't think we're going to have a new normal. I think that the, we're going to go through a transition phase for 2021. I think that you know once once things are more under control with with the the virus or the pandemic, I think that we'll see uh, great changes by the end of the year. Um, and I, I think that 
you know, especially where we're at in the state of Texas, we've been pretty much open for the most part. Kids have been in school. I, I think we're just going to see a, a complete return to that type of environment. Uh, and that's, that's what America is, in my opinion. It's, it's not the, the controls that we have over us right now. It's the freedoms of this country that we enjoy. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you and I both, we lived through 9-11. I, I actually was living in New Orleans for Katrina. So I've, I've certainly lived through times where you thought things couldn't be worse. And, and then, you know, we bounce back. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that's what's going to happen here. I think we're going to learn some, some good lessons from all of this. I think there will be some, you know, subtle changes to the way we live our lives because of this. But I think or at least I'm hopeful that we're going to get back to, to the way we do things, uh, you know, it, within, within the year. So, uh, you know, I think, I think 2021 is going to be a good year for a lot of people. I, I totally agree. You know, and I, I think my philosophy, Seth, is that I think that anytime you have a tragic event, whether it's, you know, whether it's a financial crisis or whether it's, you know, a, a pandemic that stretches across the world, I think there there's a natural tendency to overreach and to overstep. You know, mm -hmm. whenever whenever the economy starts to turn down, you know how that credit pendulum will swing too far in one direction, and then when things are good, it gets too far in that direction, yep. and you have to work yourself back to the middle. And I, and I think we're we're starting to see that pendulum start to swing with some of the other states that are looking at you know doing the right thing with putting the kids back in the classroom and things like that. Right. I think, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, well, listen, that's going to wrap us for, uh, for today. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, James, and uh, we hope to have you back in the future. I look forward to it. All right. Thank Take you. Care.